The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Okay, take your Bibles today. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Continuing our series of studies on the Christian life, today we're going to talk about a call unto subjection. A call to subjection. Look with me at Romans chapter 13. Let's begin reading at verse number 1. We read, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us around your word, and I pray that you would instruct us today and strengthen us and use us to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to be subject here, in, in, the, in the, these passages, the word that is used is a compound Greek word. And what it means is to be beneath or under the authority of, or to be directed by, another. So, we can correctly conclude then that this word subject in verse 1 and, and 5, to imply being under the authority of or under the control of, it carries the connotation of being conquered, <laughs> as in battle. So this word subject is, is the same as if, as if you were a conquered people. Uh, and as a conquered people, you are under the authority of another government, of, of another person. Um, so to be subject here means more than just to obey or submit. Uh, to obey and submit would not be intensive enough verbs to use in this matter. The correct verb is surrender. We're not just to be obedient to God. We're not just to submit to God. We are to surrender to God. In other words, we relinquish control. Then, if we are called to relinquish control, it, it bodes a, a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, what are we to relinquish control of? And to whom are, to re, are we to relinquish this control. We're in the pa well, in the passage of the scripture we just read in Romans chapter 13, we, we can see that in a civil sense, you and I are to relinquish control to the government and, and their authority, to the local police force, for instance. We're to obey the laws. And, and, and uh, we're, if we do, if, if we submit, if we surrender, if we obey, then the scripture says we have no need to fear the law, right? Because they're, 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 they're basically agents of good to protect us. Now, I, I realize and understand that 
in our society today, there are some very corrupt governments, some very corrupt uh, law, law enforcements, and, and so sometimes that, that isn't necessarily the case. But as a general rule, we understand that government and police force and armies and things such as that, their, their goal, their, their, their design is to protect us. And they are empowered and they are given authority by God himself to do those very things. So we are, to, we are to relinquish the control of these things. Uh, just a moment ago, I said that the connotation of subject here is that of one being conquered by another. And this, indeed, is the case in our life. You and I have been conquered by the will of God. Now, several years ago, I preached a message on, on being a servant of Christ, and I mentioned in that message that we... The, the correct usage of the term in Scripture is that we are slaves to Jesus because we have been purchased. We have been bought. And as such, we are enslaved to Christ. Now, someone in the, that was there that night wrote me a letter sometime later and took offense to that statement. They said they're not slaves to anyone. And they very basically made my point <laughs> by, by saying that because we, indeed, the Greek word used in scriptures for servant, in those passages, is the word slave. And we are, Paul said, I am a servant of Christ. But in, 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 the, in the Greek language, what he was saying is, I am a slave to Jesus. My life is not my own. He commands me, he tells me where to go, what to do, he directs me, and I must needs obey. So we need to understand that today, that we have been conquered and when a nation is conquered by another nation, the people become subject to the conquering nation and they must, they must submit and, and yield to the authority above them. They can't just continue. Once, a, once a, a nation is conquered, they don't just continue with life as usual. They don't just continue doing all the things they used to do. They, they come under the authority of another and they're commanded by them and they, they're directed by them. And that's, that's the case with you and I today. We have been conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are not subject unto his word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read from verses 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Far too many people turn to Christ for help in times of trouble, but want nothing to do with him when it comes to their own desires and lusts. I've been in the ministry a long time, 30, 34 years. And in, in that time, I've, I've observed a lot of people. And I've observed that when people are going through difficulties and troubles, they're on their knees praying to God, asking him to, to deliver them, asking him for help. But when things are going well and times are good, they, they want God to leave them alone. God, leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. Too often, we're like the people of Israel. I don't have time to turn to it, but you can look throughout the book of Judges. Judges chapter 3 and verse 12. Judges chapter 4. Verse 1, Judges chapter 10 and verse 6, Judges chapter 13 and verse 1, 
In these, in these passages of Scripture, we see the people of God under great oppression, and they cry out, Help me, Lord! And God delivers them, and then it's, I don't need you now, Lord. And then again, some years later, it's, Help me, Lord! God delivers them. I don't need you now, Lord. And then all of a sudden we turn around, read another book, another chapter. Help me, Lord! And isn't that how we are? I mean, honestly, isn't that how we are? Oh, when we need help, man, God's the first person we think of. But when things are smoothed out and our ship is sailing on on fair waters and a a fair breeze is blowing us along... (coughs) Do we think about God as much? Usually not. So back to my question. What do we relinquish control of? I think we've established who we relinquish control to, and that is we relinquish control to God. But what do we relinquish control of? That's what I want to share with you today. I want to share just three thoughts uh, in the time that I have. First of all, number one, uh, well, let's let's first, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. (laughs) First <laughs> John chapter 2, and we're going to read two verses, verses 15 and 16. First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And we read here, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So, what do we relinquish control of today? Let me share some thoughts. Number one, relinquish control of your wants. (coughs) Relinquish control of your wants, or if you prefer, your desires. 1 John, we just read it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So when we, when we, when we say relinquish control of your wants, we're, we're talking about the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh is everything you want to do. That's the lust of the flesh, everything you want to do. Now, wicked men will want to do wicked things, right? And by nature, what are all of we? Wicked men. Now, we might like to not think of ourselves as wicked people, wicked men. I don't like to to think of myself as someone wicked, but I know that in my heart there lies wickedness. And were it not but by the grace of God... That wickedness would run rampant in my life. So where to? We're talking here about the lust of the flesh. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were, was only evil continually. Now, our natural state is one of sin. And given our nature, we will always be drawn to choose sin. In our natural state, by our nature, we are always going to choose sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So Paul reminds us there that in times past, we walked according to the lusts of our flesh. We, we lived to fulfill the desires of our flesh. We did not have God's will or, or God's glory in our minds. We sought only to satisfy self. That was me. I don't know about you, but that was me. That's what I was before I was saved. But when, when God saved me, he, he made a new creature, a new creation. And that new creation desires to fulfill the will of the Father. But alas, that new creation still lives in the same body as the old man. And guess what the two do all day long, every day? They battle and fight. The new nature says, we will do according to the will of God. And the old nature says, the flesh wants what the flesh wants. And the two battle each other constantly. And we must be aware of this, this struggle and we must yield our members a living sacrifice to the Father. Some have come to me and asked, how can I get control of the flesh? I've been asked that question many times in the last 34 years. And you know what my answer is? You can't. You cannot, you cannot get control of the flesh. Not without making yourself subject to God and his word. You want to control the flesh? Then you must live as a conquered man or woman. You must live as, as one conquered by Christ. And you must live under his authority and according to his will. That means that when we make our decisions, we consider God first. And we make decisions that are God-honoring. And that we know is it within the will and accepted will of God. It's a conscious thing. The problem here is that most Christians think that by virtue of being saved, the flesh was also conquered and destroyed. But Paul the Apostle of Christ tells us that is not so. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 27, Paul writes, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In other words, Paul is saying, I cannot let my guard down, even for a moment. And neither can we. But isn't it, isn't it easy to let your guard down? Hmm? We, get, we get all, we're at work maybe, and, we're, we're, we're busy at work and things are going on and, and we're all caught up in, in what's happening at the moment and, and all of a sudden our consciousness slips away and, and we, we, we lose that, that confidence and, and we lose sight of, 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 of living for God for a moment maybe. huh? 
life, life's troubles come along, financial burdens, marital problems, problems with children, problems with, with, uh, with acquaintances or associates, and all of a sudden we're, we're put in a, in a struggle, we're put in a, in, a, in a point where we have to make choices and we have to make decisions, and, and if we're not careful, isn't it, isn't it easy to let your guard down? And isn't it easy to reason and decide in the flesh? Now, as I see you all looking at me, I, I can see in your eyes, none of you, are, none of you are in disagreement with me. We don't like to admit these things, but they're true. We've all, we've all made a mistake. We've all let our guard down. And when we let our guard down for a moment, the flesh is right there and he attaches himself to us and begins to to, to push us and the pressure mounts and the stress builds and sometimes we make poor decisions. I used to, when I, when I worked with teens in the school and when I, I used to tell our teens all the time, you know, every decision you make, no matter how minor it seems, every decision bears a consequence. Every one. And there's no such thing as a small decision. Even what you wake, even when you get up in the morning, even what you decide to put on, can yield consequences. Every decision has to be made with, with Christ in mind, with Christ at the center. One year at the retreat, Mr. Andrews and I, we, we did a little, a little math and a little chart and look, looking at starting with one decision and going to two, and those two each having two, and those, all of those each having two more, and compounding it. I can't even remember the number, Jim, but it was an astronomical number. It was, it was an astounding number of how many decisions you're faced in within 30 days, just given starting with one decision. And when you're talking about thousands of possible decisions from one, you're talking about thousand possible consequences. So it's a serious thing. And we need to learn to relinquish control of our desires. As soon as I forget what I am, my old nature, my old nature creeps up and knocks me down one more time. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And Paul is trying to explain to us there that while he wants to do right, his flesh wants him to do wrong. His, his spirit wants to do right, his flesh wants to do wrong. And, and, and often he finds himself doing the wrong that he would not do, and, and denying the right that he would do. And that's where we are today. How many of you have, have ever made New Year's resolutions? Any of you? How long did they last? Not very long, right? I, I have never. Maybe you have. And if you have, I applaud you. But I have never gone an entire year and kept a New Year's resolution. I've, I, I'm not even sure if I've ever got through January. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about. We want to do good, but we can't seem to accomplish it. 
because in us is a nature that wants to do evil. And often that nature conquers the nature that wants to do good. And we need to understand this struggle. Why do we do this? <laughs> we do this because the flesh is still present. And if we don't relinquish control of our desires to the Father and live as a conquered people with, con with, with relation to our wants, then we will fail to, to live in subjection to Christ. So first, we relinquish control of our wants. But then secondly, relinquish control of your will. Not only your wants, but your will as well. Now, I understand this one pretty well because 35 years ago, I got married. And that day, I relinquished control of my will. I didn't realize it at the time, but I did. And I'm not sorry for it at all. Relinquish control of your will. First John chapter 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Now, John wants us, warns us of the lust of the eyes. Now, the lust of the flesh is everything you want to do, but the lust of the eyes is everything you want to have. The most familiar example of this is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Let's all turn there. Genesis chapter 3. It's easy to find. First book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. And this is familiar verses to all of you. Look at verse 6. Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman... What's that next word? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the what? Eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now there's proof, scriptural proof, that the husband has no will. Okay. All sin starts with a look. Do you hear me? All sin starts with a look. This is why Paul warned the saints at Thessalonica about this. Now, Thessalonica was a, a city filled with, filled with idols and filled with adultery and filled with, with uh, uh, fornication. It was in every corner, every street, every store, every, every marketplace. So Paul warns them about this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22, he says, Abstain from all appearance. Of evil. Now remember, we, we, we as believers like to say there is, there is life for a look at the Savior. But be, be warned, there is also destruction for a look at wickedness. King David learned this all too well. Before he sinned with Bathsheba, what did he do? He saw, he looked. That's right. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 2, we read, And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. 
Now, I propose to you, David didn't just happen to stumble upon Bathsheba bathing. He knew she would be bathing, and that's why he went up there onto that roof. First of all, the fact is, David should have been at, at, at war with his troops. It was the, the, the king's army was in battle, and that's where he should have been. But he stayed behind, <laughs> and that was his first mistake. And he went up on that roof knowing that he would see Bathsheba. That was his second mistake. And his third mistake was he looked. I've heard it said by, by people over the years, I've, I've heard some men say, well, it doesn't hurt to look. Oh, really? That's a lie spawned by the devil himself. It doesn't hurt to look. Tell that to Lot's wife. Hmm? In Genesis chapter 19 and verse 26, but his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Doesn't hurt to look, does it? Well, Eve looked and she saw and she sinned. David looked and he saw and he sinned. Lot's wife looked and she died. Just one look cost her everything. And can I remind you, Satan is trying to get all of us to look back to. Because he knows that if he can get us to look back, sooner or later he can get us to go back. And, and we have to be so careful with this. I, I tell people all the time, learn from the past. That's, you know what Paul said? Paul said, what did he, what did he say? Oh, no, it's just, it just blew right out of my mind. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking forth unto those which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, I forget about the things in the past because I can't change those. You understand, you can't change the past. What's been done is, has been done, and, and maybe we regret what's been done, and maybe we are sorry for what's been done, but we can't change what's been done, can we? However, we can affect, we can control what happens going forward, right? I deal with people all the time, and sometimes at work, some people are so stressed out about, about things, and I tell them, listen, you can only control what you can control. There are some things you can't control. You aware of that? There are some things you just have no control over, but all you can do is each moment of each day is control the things you can, go forward and, and do the best you can going forward. Learn from the lessons, mistakes made in the past. Don't forget the lessons learned, but don't look back and desire because sooner or later you're going to go back. Look forward. What should you keep your eyes on? Anybody know? That's right. You look forward and keep your eyes on Christ. And, and you know what? We'll never attain to Christ's holiness and righteousness, ever. But we certainly need to strive to go that way and keep him in sight. You know, if you keep your eyes and heart focused on Jesus, you're going to make mistakes along the way, but you're never going to utterly fall because you have your eyes on 
the Lord. We must surrender. We must surrender, subject our will to God. We must, we must surrender our will and, and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Father, it's not what I want to do today, it's what you want me to do today. But we get all, we get all wrapped up in accomplishments. And the greatest accomplishment we can ever hope for is to stand before Christ and hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So relinquish control of our wills. And then thirdly, relinquish control of your ways. Relinquish control of your wants. Relinquish control of your will. And relinquish control of your ways. John said, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, <laughs> the pride of life is everything you want to be. The lust of the flesh is everything you want to have. The lust of the eyes is everything you want to do. The, lust, the pride of life is everything you want to be. Now, everyone in this room, no matter how old or young you are, has or have goals and plans for your life. Well, let me say that God also has goals and plans for your life. My favorite example of this in, in Scripture is found in, in the life of Joseph. Now, I don't have time to, to go through and, and read the passages of Genesis chapter 15, uh, from Genesis chapter 50. <coughs> but Joseph, <coughs> I'm sure Joseph didn't plan on spending 13 years of his life a prisoner in Egypt. I'm sure he had other plans. I'm sure he had other goals. But as it turned out, God had plans and goals for Joseph as well. Now, Joseph throughout his life epitomized the characteristic of subjection unto God. Not once do we read of Joseph complaining or rebelling during his 13-year ordeal. He was 17 years old when he was taken into captivity. Genesis 37, chapter 37, verse 2. These are the generations of, of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. So we see he was 17 when his brothers accosted him and sold him into slavery. And then in Genesis 41, verse 46, we read, And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So for 13 years, Joseph spent... His life as a, as, a, as a slave in the house of Potiphar and as a prisoner in the, in, in the prison of Egypt. For 13 years, not once in all that time, do we see that Joseph resisted or rebelled against the will of the Father. He subjected himself to the path that God had laid before him. He turned over the reins of his life and let God do what he would with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, what about you and I today? We are to be surrendered to God concerning our life. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul writes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Let me ask you, if God came to you today and wanted you to go to the mission field, would you relinquish your goals and plans and go? If God touched your heart today to take on one of the ministries in this church, would you surrender your goals and wills to God and, and do so? Or do, would you respond as in the days of the prophet Ezekiel? We read in Ezekiel chapter 22, the people of the land <coughs> have used oppression and exercised robbery <coughs> excuse me, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. <coughs> and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Would that, be, would that be God's response if he came to, to you today? And he came to you and said, I have something that I want you to do. But that something would mean you would have to surrender your goals, your plans, and, and fulfill the, the, the will and purpose of God. Would you do that? Could you do that? I would certainly hope we could. I'd like to stand here and say, yeah, I would. But I'm not going to be like Peter and say, though all men forsake you, I will never forsake you. We know the result of that boast, don't we? But we each, we each have goals and we have, we have plans and we have, we have wills. But we are called to subject those to God. We are called to surrender those to the control of the Father and Whatever he calls us to do, that we need to do. All right, folks, I need to stop. I've gone a little bit over, and you can tell how sorry I am. So uh, let's go ahead and dismiss and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.